All right, you're good. All right. All right, I think we're live, right? We're in. We're going. All right, so this is the first ever Parisi podcast. I'm going to be the host today. I'm Steve Leo. I am joined today with Casey Lee. We'll get to that in a minute. Just want to give you guys a couple uh, couple updates on how this is going to work. So if you're on the Zoom call, you know, just keep yourself muted. Feel free to put uh, questions up in the chat anytime you want. We'll try to get to them at some point throughout the call. If we can't, we'll figure out another way to get to you. Uh, this will uh, be posted eventually as well. Uh, our wonderful, good friend that works for Parisi's Carol will get everything posted up and you guys will be able to download it in due time. Uh, this is our first round, so bear with us if we hit a few bumps in the road. But uh, Casey and I are kind of veterans doing podcasts. He has his own uh, on the side. I host another podcast as well. So we've done this before. Uh, we want to try to bring you guys a little bit of uh, content in more of a uh, talking format, not just a uh, – you know, let somebody just talk and give, say, a webinar. We want to really just discuss training and, you know, how, how it can really affect kids. And, and that's what we do for a living, and myself and Casey. So hopefully this is a lot of fun. We want to keep it uh, loose. You know, this isn't a, a real strict presentation, right? We want to have a little bit of fun here. And uh, if you guys have any, you know, questions, feel free to, uh, to chime in. All right. Uh, Mr. Casey Lee, he is a, uh, I don't know what you are. You're, you get a lot of titles. So we'll start with uh, your program director <laughs> up in uh, Williston, Vermont. Um, yeah, been training for a decade now, at least, right? I've cleared. I'm I'm going on twelve years of coaching actual right. people, like actually being a person that trains other people. All right, you got your training wheels off. Proud of you. There you go. I feel um, like uh, my hairline is starting to reflect <laughs> how long I've been coaching too. What happens? Yeah, looks like your back starts hurting. Uh, um, and then obviously, uh, you know, uh, Casey was a master coach for a few years through the Parisi Network. I, we, he and I got to work together for a while, and it was definitely a lot of fun. And we created a good friendship outside the Parisi uh, Nation. Uh, also, too, though, Casey's uh, heavily involved with our corporate team. He's uh, hosting a mentorship program right now uh, to Parisi's and also has definitely been involved in a lot of projects and has spoken at our summits. So definitely one of the uh, leaders, not only in Parisi's, but in our industry. So I gave him a quick brief intro, but I'm gonna let uh, I'm gonna let Mr. Casey Lee do a full intro and don't be shy. Steve Leo, appreciate the intro. Uh, always fun to be considered for anything Parisi does, let alone the first of anything that they do. Uh, like you said, hopefully we don't suck too much on this pod. But um, my name is Casey Lee. I'm the director of fitness and performance up in Vermont for a health club chain called The Edge. I say chain. There's five locations. It's locally owned though, um, which I think that we are kind of. Uh, a gem in the commercial gym industry. I'll, I'll phrase it like that. I don't think, I think uh, a lot of people who work at commercial gyms think it's uh, like a coffin and you're burying your career. And I have nothing but glowing things to say about working in a commercial gym and all the fun things that it can bring. Yes, there's headaches, but there's headaches in every gym, uh, whether it's a boutique, whether it's commercial, whether it's health uh, in a hospital, whatever it might be. We have uh, Parisi Speed School, I believe we're number 66. Uh, we're a franchise. We just renewed contract number three. So if we're judging gyms based on how many leases they sign, we just, we're going on year, uh, year 11 with Parisi and on our third agreement with Parisi. So we've made it. Um, we have, gosh, three performance coaches plus myself on top of 19 personal trainers for the health club. Uh, we have three registered dietitians on staff. We also have full physical therapy in-house and we have a mental skills coach as well. So um, the cliche one-stop shop gets thrown around a lot, but we've really tried to emulate um, a vision, a very distinct vision that we've all had uh, of making ourselves kind of the, the go-to place in Northern Vermont for athletic performance. Um, but at the same time, uh, every kid that plays a sport has a parent and uh, they train with us as well too. So um, moms and dads don't go in season, soccer players do. So it's helped keep our business around for 11 plus years. And, and it's been a lot of fun since. No, oh, that's awesome. I know. Um, your club is, is one of the best I've ever been to. I've been to a couple of times and you guys rock it up there, and, you know, in Vermont, which is, you know, the population up there is not, not tremendous, right? What is the pop? You're in Burlington. So how many people even live in that area? Five, I, six? I, I couldn't even there? tell you, man. <laughs> I, I've ever, it's, I just know that in Chittenden County, the County that I'm in uh, is got the most stuff going on. As soon as you get outside Chittenden County, it gets desolate and uh, stoplights become few and far between. <laughs> well, I think, you know, one of the things people can take away, number one, is you've made it work in maybe in a market that's probably not as, as uh, economically affluent, right, as, as some of the places. Yeah, you know, I'm in New absolutely. Jersey, which is different. Um, 
So I think one of the things I wanted to talk to you about is obviously, listen, we're, we're still living COVID. I don't think anybody back, you know, in March and April, you and I did a podcast together. I think it was May or April. I can't remember. And we were talking about, hey, probably by the end of the summer, this thing will probably be over with. Well, we're no. middle of September and, <laughs> you know, this is the new norm, right? You know, that's the crazy term out there. So one of the things I wanted to ask you about, uh, and I know you've been open a little bit longer. You know, New Jersey basically has just gotten opened up probably in the last, let's say, 45 days. Some clubs I know just opened a few weeks ago. And, you know, it's, it's, it's a little bit of a struggle. Everyone's trying to get some people back. I think some people are nervous, which is obviously, uh, you know, uh, understandable. But, you know, how have you dealt with people, number one, coming back indoors? I think the indoors thing is really what's uh, maybe bugging people or making people nervous. So how have you dealt with that? And, you know, going from when you first opened compared to today, because I think you've been open two or three months. Kind of tell us, you know, what has been going on and, and just give us some feedback on. I know things have been going well, but I'm sure in the beginning it was a little bumpy. Yeah. So for us, uh, Vermont gave the green light to gyms on June 1st. Our club took an extra week just to make sure everything was, uh, I'll, I'll say, in alignment to what we wanted to be when we reopened. So we opened on June 8th and then our Parisi speed school opened on June 15th um, for, I'll say for group stuff. We did open initially for that first week with one-on-one -on -one coaching, uh, but we wanted to give everyone kind of a week to, to come in and see the place, see the space. And then I'm going to throw a huge asterisk on what we did because we're part of a 35,000 square foot indoor turf field. So high ceilings, outdoor uh, intake fans, exhaust fans, like we had the ideal setup, I think, to be socially distant. So our Parisi basically was attached to this or is attached to this. So we put the curtain up that we had, a retractable curtain, put it all the way up and reconstructed the entire gym fitness center in about 15,000 square feet. And then we have another 10,000 square feet. That's just an open turf field. Plus we have um, another 10-ish about, uh, it's probably a little less than 10. That's going to be kind of our group X area. And then our Parisi speed school, which is about 4,700 square feet of open space. So everything is, is extremely open and we designed it so that it, it looked different than what we had before, which was a smaller aerobic studio, small fitness center, kind of like you would see in a normal commercial gym. So I put a big asterisk on that because we had this uh, monstrosity of an indoor field house that definitely made our reopening uh, noticeably different for our members, but also noticeably different for the community. So when we reopened, we did not hit the ground running. By no means did we hit the ground running. I think um, the industry norm right now is is like 40% uh, of your membership base is, is you're killing it. Um, and we are about, um, gosh, I think we're in like the high 20s. And our Parisi, we opened with about 40% of our membership base coming back. So um, right now we're at about 47% of our active membership base. So, it, I mean, there, I think there's a lot of different things. One, yes, people maybe not wanting to be inside, but two, uh, all of like, everything else that a kid does, a student athlete does, did the same thing. So uh, did, I should say, do the same thing as us. They weren't able to practice all these travel soccer teams, travel across teams. They weren't able to go because state regulations. And then once they could, these normal timelines that we had of, okay, the club soccer's off for the month of August and club lacrosse isn't going to run this fall. Everyone's doing the same thing we're having to do and figuring out how to make it all work. So um, we actually started better than we currently are. I have no problem saying that because everything has just been pushed back. Now, like you're seeing with pro sports, basketball, football, hockey, soccer, golf, everything's running at the same time. That's what's happening right now with AAU basketball, travel across the school sports to the best of their abilities. Everything's running at the same time. So it's, it's almost more of a, um, I also say it's more of a shit show now than it was when we reopened and everything was being phased in. Uh, so it's been a little different for us now that it's September and kids are back in school in Vermont um, on this weird hybrid schedule. But uh, it, I mean, the reopening I think was, was smooth. It was a lot easier for us to go from virtual to reopening than it was from closed to virtual. And I'm very thankful for that because if I never have to coach a kid in zoom ever again, I will be the happiest trainer ever. Yeah, I mean, I think one of the things that I've seen, you know, you know, obviously I teach, I'm at a private school and we open full time. We're one of the few schools, I think only like 70 some schools in the state of New Jersey are actually back in full time. Uh, obviously there's a lot of Zoom going on. So I have my daughters at the school with me. She's in full time. My other daughters at our public school only in two days a week. And, you know, I've been talking to a lot of those parents and trying to get an understanding of like what you're saying. 
because everything got pushed back, you saw a lot of these club sports get pushed. You know, like you said, I mean, I know some kids just finished up some of their club seasons because they got it going in July. Uh, what do you think, and I'll, I'll kind of answer myself as I say this, but what do you think uh, is going to be the norm moving forward? Because in New Jersey, they're going forward with, with high school sports. Everything got pushed back about a month, but not too bad. But one of the things I've noticed with some of the parents and kids that I've seen is, and it's kind of sad, but the kids that are more, I don't want to say dedicated, but kids are really passionate are into their sport. You know, they take it seriously. They want to play varsity and club and maybe play, play at the collegiate level. I've seen more of them wanting and getting back into whether it be training or lessons or whatever i'm seeing the more recreational athlete which i have that you know my older daughter is probably more of a competitive athlete my younger daughter is more of a recreational athlete i'm seeing the recreational athletes and the parents maybe not not caring but they're kind of like i don't know if i want to do anything yet and there might be some nerves there again because of covid so you know have you seen it going that way as a divide or it's just been kind of you know just crazy across the board um, it's kind of across the board a little bit here in Vermont, whereas high school sports this year had zero cuts. Uh, I've never in 10 years working with high school sports. I've never seen that. Um, the youth sports landscape are all over the place. If, if the towns are even going to have something, uh, what's crazy and what's affecting things most is adults not wanting to coach adults, not wanting to be around a lot of other kids. So, uh, it's not necessarily participation on our end. It, it's more so coaches wanting to be available, but what I will say is and this is where I think being a, a, a Parisian, being affiliated with the Parisian has really helped us. Just like the athletes that are the one percenters, the athletes that want to play varsity, the athletes that aspire to play in college, they're going to do what they want to do regardless of external circumstances, right? Like athletes lie on a regular basis to their coaches, to their athletic trainers to cover up ankle sprains and twisted knees and everything like that because they want to play. So, and, and also maybe because they're young and they don't have full context of the world another conversation for another time, but those 1% athletes are going to want to play and they're going to be the ones that come back into training and they're going to do their thing regardless of what else is going on in the world. But uh, I think what really is the differentiator is how serious organizations, whether it's the rec sports, the club sports, the Parisis, the other gyms in, in the area, how serious they take safety precautions, they take physical distancing, they take the actual setup for the athlete, those facilities I think are going to be fine, uh, especially in the long run. One thing that uh, I really took pride in for ourselves and our facility was at the end of our first full month of business in July, we had 84 athletes in our program. When we closed in March, um, we had 119 athletes in our program. So yes, there's a dip um, you know, like we're looking like somewhere in the high thirties, but in our first full month of business, we had 84 kids. Um, now what was different was where those kids were training, whether it's one-on-one, two-on-one versus larger group stuff. And by larger group stuff, I mean, classes of, of eight-ish, six to eight-ish. Um, again, we're on a giant turf field, so we can space people out appropriately, but, um, people were just doing different services than what they had originally done, which is fine. We're happy to see kids in the gym and train them in person as, as much as we can. But, um, I really think that the new norm is going to be people probably paying attention to health standards a little bit more than they did before. And the bum gyms with bum owners and bum coaches just kind of getting fizzled out because they don't care. And I think that if you show your clients, you care and you go through some, you know, hoops and, and ladders and things that the state will put you through. But if you show that you care based off of your facility layout, the programming, um, how athletes check in and out of your building, then those, that reputation, I think you'll be fine. I think you're seeing it now with restaurants, you know, like people will be like, Oh, you went out to eat. How was it? It's not even, how was the food? It was, yeah. how was the setup? How was the service? How is this and that? It's not, has nothing to do with the actual quality of what you're spending money to go get. Right. So I feel like the gym situation, are going to be very similar. People are going to be like, oh, you went inside and worked out. How was it? You know, and, and that's kind of what it's going to be like for us. No one's going to care. I think people will care less about what we do. They'll care more about how we do it. And that's going to become the new norm. I think that's exactly it. And that's kind of what I wanted to lead into. You know, now we got the fun COVID stuff out of the way. You know, I feel good. I think things are moving in the right direction. I've seen it in our state. You know, uh, we've been definitely tighter than most. Uh, but you know, I think if you operate with these parameters and, and the good thing I've seen with kids is they understand it. They get the masks, they get the whole sanitizing and all, and all that type of stuff. So I think everyone gets it now and, and we hopefully can get back to training normally. But, 
how have you found it? I can kind of tell you how I found it. How have you found now kids coming back? Uh, obviously, we have our own programming that we prescribe, um, you know, through Parisi's and through Train Heroic, which is a great partner of ours. Uh, you know, we have our normal programs, but what have I, I've had to do, not only with my own kids and also the kids at the school, is I've had to change my programming a little bit. I've had to kind of go backwards in a good way. I think some people think backwards is bad, but I've gone backwards to more body weight-based movements, uh, speaking more about movement patterns and kind of reestablishing that because a lot of kids, you know, were off, you know, they weren't really doing a lot and it's almost like, okay, in a good way, we could take a step back to take a couple steps forward. So what have you done with your athletes as, as they've made that return and, and how has the progression worked for you guys uh, in, the, in the gym? Yeah. And, I, and it's, I know we talked about this on your Vertimax pod, Steve, where like work capacity out, like there was nothing there. They didn't have anything absolute strength and just our kids strength overall was okay. Um, it was okay. That's come yeah, back. Same thing. Yep. But one thing that, and this is something that I, I'm not surprised to say it now, but at the time I really was kind of shocked was how, what's uh, a good way to say it? Like kids didn't, I don't want to say they didn't listen as well, but they didn't have context. So what we basically lost with our athletes, like if we're getting a kid to go from a gobble squat to a split squat and we're using a, a kid's like acceleration um, technique in, in, in a split stance or shin angle to kind of coach them into a good split position, they don't have that anymore. Like it, that was gone. Like all the context that we work so hard to relay to our athletes to get them into a good position in the weight room or vice versa gone because they just didn't, they didn't have that same exposure. Like you're saying kids were kind of out of it. They weren't really doing much. Well, that's to be expected on a physical level, but cognitively that it was gone. Like everything that we had tried to do was gone. And we had to actually find that with our programming, we definitely had to regress kids mightily, but at the same time, we had to really think about what we were saying and how we were coaching these kids because they came back in if they're playing Fortnite, FIFA, NBA, <laughs> NHL for hours on end because Netflix binges. Yeah. Because I mean, even, even then, like if a kid got done school first week of June, even then they had three, four weeks off or we have, we have kids coming in that we didn't even see all summer because their travel sports backed them up. And when they weren't playing travel sports, they were just playing video games or they were doing other things that was just not what we do in the gym. So um, that was probably the biggest thing that I've, I noticed that was a surprise was just how hard we had to coach kids to get them into effective positions, to get them to be effective in the weight room or on the track or whatever it might be that we were doing. Yeah. I mean, I, I saw a ton of that, you know, they, they, it's like they just forgot how to move. It, it's pretty funny. Yeah. You, you know? say, Hey, we need your shin, you know, we need to yeah. drive your shin forward and the kid stands up and they're like, what do you mean? Or, or they'll like stand up and like reposition their feet. I'm like, Oh man, like it's gone. Like it's every, all the context we work to build is just gone. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, what is starting to happen is now the kids that I've worked with, I've had some of them from about two months to start to come back. It is starting to click finally. You know what I mean? Like mm -hmm. you said, mentally and physically. And one of the uh, concepts that, you know, we talk about a little bit during our training week and our education and, you know, maybe it's something we need to dive in a little deeper. I wanted to get your thoughts on it. Were you know, the thoughts on, you know, when we work with athletes, we're definitely working on technique. That's one of our staples. That's something to work on. But obviously we work in a weight room. We get a little of that work in. But one of the things too is more that, that thought of, and the word I like to use is locomotion, you know, more of those higher frequency movements and maintaining those movements. You know, I know we work on deceleration and holding positions, and I think that's important. But what I'm starting to find is I'm seeing more people spend, a lot of time in that area and maybe not as much as the locomotion area, meaning just make the kids move. And you know, one of my staples I say is just go run. I mean, the kids need to sprint. If they don't sprint, they're not going to get faster. You can be technical till you're blue in the face. They sprinting is, is a strengthening movement. So, you know, what are your thoughts? I know I poisoned a well when I said that, but what are your thoughts on more locomotion? And when I say versus it's not, it's against it, but on the other side of it, more biomechanics and, and technical based workouts, especially for the kids coming back in a context that you're talking about. Yeah, I think locomotion along with core and by core, I mean like anti-extension, anti-flexion movements, um, anti-lateral movements are probably the two most forgotten movement patterns that anyone trains. We say, what's a movement pattern? I, and actually it's so funny you say this because I just had this conversation with our intern who started last week. Um, we were covering just movement patterns and she rattled off squat, deadlift, hinge, upper push, upper pull, you know? And then I was like, well, what else? 
And she was like, well, I guess it's important to have a strong core. And that's a conversation for a different time. But then I said, well, what about this? And I wrote locomotion on the board uh, because it's a movement pattern. Like when you work with athletes and even when you work with non-athletes, the ability to move in space in multiple directions, whether it's under load or under velocity, or I mean, even just if it's like, I don't say it's, it's not static, but um, under varying uh, speeds, it's a movement pattern, right? Like we do it, like you say, you say like the, the classic Steve Leo is, is just run. Like you need to run. Like at some point your kid just needs to run because one specificity two that's how, the only way they're going to get better at anything um, is practicing that. So yeah, in the weight room, like we do everything, everything it's frontal plane, everything is frontal plane. And just to even get added locomotion in the weight room, it's extremely difficult, especially if you have a small weight room. Um, but two, it's a movement pattern in itself. And um, it was really first brought up in your place with the um, foundational capacity screen through the guys at FMS. Like that's a, a screen that they do as a farmer carry for distance for time with a percentage of an athlete's weight to see if they can even do it. And watching grown adults do this test was unreal because it's so hard. It's so hard, but it was an actual screen. And that was probably the first time I'd seen anyone actually pay attention to locomotion, let alone figure out some way to assess it. But yeah, I, I, I agree. I, I think it's just one of the most overlooked movement patterns for an individual, let alone an athlete. Yeah. And if you look at, you know, athletes that I've been working with, so I've had my kids over the summer, you know, they're transitioning into sports now, they're kind of fading out, but now I'm back in the school. And actually Monday was my first day with athletes because of New Jersey, they, they shut down fall sports until the 14th. And, you know, we had the first day of kids and all the kids thought we were going to pop in the weight room and use barbells. And I said, Nope, get out to the, out to the turf. And we did a body weight circuit. And I'm telling you, it was maybe 12 minutes. It was uh, squats, squat jumps, lunges and push-ups 15 seconds each after each round of that we took about a two-minute break we did three full rounds and it was like these kids ran a marathon I mean they were wow. toasted they were done and they were like well you're just trying to kill us I said no I'm just trying to assess 15 your seconds on two minutes off is the opposite of trying to kill you yeah so <laughs> it told me a lot it was a test for me and one was looking at work capacity like we always talk about what is just getting it to move and one of the things I was trying to get them to do I'm like when you squat I want to squat per second when you do a squat jump. I want to squat jump for a second to get moving at that has, at that faster rate. What's nice is there's no load, right? So if we work more in body weight in the beginning with these kids, they're working under no load, which is their body weight. So, I mean, the odds of them getting hurt pretty low, as long as you coach them the right way, it should be fine. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then getting to move faster because what I'm seeing is I'm seeing a big trend now. And this is just me on my soapbox of people being so, so much breaking down of movement, which is important. I'm not saying it's not important. But sooner or later, they, get, they have to move, right? And if you're just having them do like a squat jump or doing squats or push-ups, as long as the patterns are pretty good, they're going to fly through it very fast. They have to move quicker. They have to get their joints aligned. I don't think it's that hard to do with most kids, but they have to learn to push harder, push through the ground harder, which is something we're working on with sprinting. And the technique, that's always going to be something we work on. And like you said, if you go back to our warm-up, because I did do a full warm-up with them too, which I think they didn't realize that warm-up was going to get them a little bit. That's locomotion. So what's nice about the way we've always trained, it does support that. But one of the things I've told the kids is we're not really going to hit the weight room much in the beginning. We're just going to build you through this locomotion pattern and really start talking about, you know, building those muscles up, getting you to sprint. Because sprinting is a strength exercise. Anybody can argue that with me if they want and maybe not spend as much time in a weight room in the beginning and then start to kind of layer that in. So I don't know if that's something, you know, when you started out with your athletes back in, you know, uh, mid-June, how have you looked at that and have you uh, progressed in that manner or have you, you know, hit the weights right away? What was your thought on it? Steve, do you mean like velocity, like velocity movement? Yeah, I mean, if you want to say velocity-based training like VBT, but, you know. I didn't know. I mean, I just think of like locomotion yeah. as like a, a carrier, like actually like moving weight through space, which I guess they are, but it, you reference like speed. So I just want to make sure we're talking on the same page before I say something. But um, yeah, when kids came back, they were handed a 10 pound bumper plate. <laughs> like that's what they're thinking. And we, we did everything from like body weight squats, assisted holds. And yeah, we definitely did um, like some positional isometrics and things like that because I mean, it, it, 
you're in Jersey where athletes are competitive. I mean, Northern Vermont athletics, you can, people get pissed. Like parents will get mad at me when I'm like, well, I mean, Vermont athletics as a whole are relatively weak. They're like, oh, well, our team went to New York and won this tournament. I'm like, yeah, well, your kid go, went to upstate New York, which is just as weak as Vermont, you know? So uh, Vermont athletics, like it's, if you find a hardcore athlete, like they're, they're probably going to prep school. Um, but our kids, like, like we had to do some positional work because they had, there's like, like you're saying, like the idea of getting to some type of like speed behind movement, it's so foreign for them. I'll say that it's so foreign for them that, uh, yeah, we just basically every kid had like a light dumbbell, a 10 pound plate. And we did a lot of TRX work because, uh, like, let alone move fast. Like kids just, they just struggle to move. Um, and even now, like even our best athletes, you ask them to do something with intent, ask them to do something fast. Like I, I, I would love to see our five hop broad jump. I do this now in our, our Parisi evaluation. When a kid does their five hop broad jump, I'll have them do five jumping like a frog, like as fast as you can. And then I'll have them do another round. I'll have five hops where I'll let them reset in between. And I want to see the difference in, uh, in, in like the gap between, yep. um, the, the different speeds of movement. Cause you want to talk about exposing an athlete, have them do five broad jumps for speed and see what that looks like, how well they can control themselves, how well they can get in and out of each movement. Um, and it's worth, that's a worthy note. Like you're talking about like watching an athlete move with locomotion, having an athlete move with velocity. Like, I mean, it gets ugly quick for most. Uh, yeah. I, listen, I've had it happen many times with some of the bigger guys that I've worked with, whether it be linemen or I've been working with a lot of throwers now in track. And, you know, they're good squatters, you know, they can clean a lot of weight, but you tell them to do some type of uh, bounding or hopping drill, it's like cement hitting the ground. Yeah, and you and can do like anything it. heavy and slow. Yeah. That's easy. And that's the thing. It's, and listen, you and I, we talk about this all the time, but I think it's always important to kind of bring it up. It's just taking that transfer from the weight room, you know, a, a, out to the track. And one of the terms I've been kind of just messing around with is, I, you know, ki- kids that are weight room warriors versus athletes. Mm-hmm. And I think – that's happening a lot now. You have the kid who goes in a weight room and kills it. And, I, and listen, I respect it a ton. I think it's awesome. But then it, the kid's got to get on the field and play. You know, that lacrosse player has got to ride and clear and, and do, do his thing and, and make plays. And he doesn't have to big, be the biggest, strongest, fastest kid out there. They just have to be athletic. Um, you know, speed will definitely play a role. But I think, you know, it, it's hard to kind of get people to understand because, listen, weights are, are um, manageable, right? You know what the numbers are. When you can measure them, you can manage them. So you know kind of where they're at athleticism it's not fully defined it's kind of in the eye of the beholder so I think that's something that we do as coaches um have you you know have you seen that have you experienced that and talked with parents because you know listen parents and kids sometimes have different views and look through different lenses when it comes to what really athleticism is yeah I think that well I think there's three things on that the first is what a parent expects when they come into the program. Like they expect their kid to leave a dripping ball of sweat every time they come in. And, and I'd say probably the number one negative feedback piece we get from parents is that their kid isn't tired enough when they leave the gym. And that's where we have the conversation of, of just what, what we do and to train to get fast on a 30 yard track, you don't necessarily need to be a hot sweaty mess um, or when you're training for absolute speed that's one thing. And if your kid is that hot and sweaty after a workout, they're probably not in shape, um, which is probably why they're hot, messy, uh, sweaty messes at the end. And then two, um, you know, like, and this actually, like you're talking, talking about with like the barbells and like actually being able to put load on an implement and, and lift it more and seeing progression. I, we had this conversation today in the Parisi mentorship coaching call um, is an area that one of the coaches wanted to get better at. And it was this idea of, of regression and progression and speed. And I think this is probably a good time to bring it up because you would know as well as anyone, um, you know, like we can talk about a kid progressing by putting more weight on the bar. We can talk about a kid progressing by getting into a challenging position. But when a kid goes from skipping in the warm up to a full end sprint and you watch that sprint and you go, Oh my God, Ooh, you know, make kind of a face. Like, Oh, that's not what I really thought I was going to see from the skip. Coaches don't really know how to get in the middle, right. To how to kind of get a kid from a, a, a decent skip to a better, better run, like a better ability to run. And I think that's just because no one talks about it. Like you just said, Steve, like people can understand the weight room because the weight room is probably pretty comfortable. It's, it's linear progression for most. Um, we can have the argument of like conjugate and things like that, but you, it's pretty black and white. Like that's the weight room, especially with a kid. Like it's foundation movement patterns, put a little bit more weight on the bar. That's kind of the old Chad Coy saying, 
a little bit more weight on the bar each week, you're probably going to get a little stronger. Um, and yeah, then it works too. It definitely works. Yeah. Kids, when they get like in the weight room, they get sore the next day, most of them. And they're like, Ooh, Ah, did something great. But with speed training, they're like, ah, damn, am I getting faster? I don't really know. Unless you're a track kid and you're getting measured a lot, but no one talks about speed training to that capacity. Like that's it to people. Speed work is, is a bag session with a coach and a stopwatch in a fields running gassers. And they think that's speed work or it's agility ladders and that's speed work. It, or it's um, the new one now is like, pushing things up a hill and dragging tires through a parking lot. And they're like, that's speed work. I'm like, ah, that's just making you tired, man. Like that's not actual speed work. So I think those are the big pieces there. And I know I said three, but I'm talking so much. I forgot the third, but it's uh, people not really knowing what, what it is, like what speed work really is. Um, and then the other piece is, is like we're saying, like people just have different expectations of like what they're going to get and what they're yeah. going to feel as they do it. I mean, listen, if you look at what we do, I mean, I've been involved with Parisi now over 20 years. You've been in it for over 10 and I've always taken big pride and that's what we do. I mean, we teach speed better than anyone I've ever seen. I've been all around the country now and, and talk to coaches from around the world and we do it as good or better than anyone else that I've seen in the youth market. Now there's some people who do a great job with Olympic athletes. Hey, that's not what we work with. We're working with developmental athlete, which mm-hmm. Uh, there's some challenges there, right? It's, it's hard working with a 13, 14 year old. I, I love the challenge. I, I enjoy it. And it's funny. You said that, you know, some people, when they look at the speed stuff, they, they kind of don't really understand or get it. But here's the funny thing. That's what they want. Mm-hmm. You know, when you watch a football game on Sunday, what are they talking about the whole time? How fast everybody is. How That's the biggest the highlight was, um, right? his name? Brita, Matt Brita this week watching, uh, I think he plays for the Dolphins now. So maybe it was like the Dolphins Pats game. Shout out. Uh, I'm not a Patriots fan, but shout out the Cowboys still looking like the Cowboys from last year. Yeah. We'll, we'll end call. with that. We had a bad call the other night too. It's a bad uh, call. Day. We'll end, we'll end with that one. But, uh, yeah. Um, that's like the whole first highlight they showed was Matt Breida was the fastest dude carrying the ball last year. He ran like 21 miles an hour holding a football in full pads, which is unreal. That's unreal. And trust me, kids know that between watching sports on TV, which is kind of different. Kids don't watch it as much, but they play video games. And what's one of the biggest things in a video game for a player? Speed. Speed, man. The little shoes next to their name. Yeah, that's, that's important. So it's just, it's just a matter of how do we convey that to the kids um, because it's, it, when it comes to speed, they may not feel it right away. Like you said, on a barbell, Hey, if I put up a hundred pounds, I put up 90 last week. Well, I felt different. I felt strong. They could sprint. We could actually see they're faster or even show them they're faster, but they may not feel it. So it's trying to find ways in, in my mind, how do you get them to buy in? And, and, and one of the terms that I've been using with my kids at school is I call it the motivation factor, right? I'm going to find something to motivate you. It could be a watch. It could be somebody chasing you. It could be you, ha- you having to make a play in a game. And I think that's something that I want to dive in deeper with, uh, with our coaches and our network. I know, listen, Eric Mitchell's the man when it comes to uh, motivating and getting people fired up. But I think we also need to find ways right in the middle of a session, what keywords can you say to motivate that kid? So like you said, I love your term that you use is move with intent. Uh, because it's, it's the old way, right? Two kids will line up. You have one kid run. He might run one time, one kid run another time. You make them race each other. The time's probably going to be better, right? That's way better. That. It's, yep. it's, it'll never change, right? But how do we make those little micro changes in the middle of a session to get that kid to fully, fully understand, okay, you, I need you to empty the tank every single time unless we're working on a drill or something. But you, you got to go. You got you to gotta let it rip. And you know what I kind of think oh, it is? You didn't ask this, but I kind of – so – this has kind of always been my hunch that kids don't train hard because they're afraid of what their coaches have done to them in the past. As far as just gassers, like they're just afraid to run hard because they feel like they always need to have a little bit in the tank. Cause at any moment, like their coach is probably done in practice. They flip a switch and they all of a sudden they got to run like 10 to 110s or they've got to run up this hill or do whatever. And it's like, they just always want to just leave a little bit in the tank. It's always been my hunch whenever working with kids. Well I, well, I will tell you as a, as a track coach now, that is totally true because I have track kids that have said that to me like, coach, well, you told us we're running six 200s. I had to conserve a little. Like, I mean, it's, it definitely happens. The other thing that you just made me think of is, and I don't know if you agree, is some kids are, are worried about making a mistake, right? Some kids mm, have sure. been at practice, made a mistake, and then they got to go run. And it's, again, we're, we're punishing with a thing we want them to love. Uh, so it's just trying to find that right balance of, or we, we want to motivate you, but we want to motivate you because it's better for you. It's not better for me as the coach. And I think the context of how you say that 
is very important. I know you're a big fan of Nick Winkleman and I am as well um, on coaching cues and, and how to communicate. And I think that's something that, you know, we have to continually try to evolve with our kids, especially in this time. I mean, kids are, they're a little bit different right now. They've gone through a little bit of trauma, mental trauma, I feel. Um, you know, I think they're starting to come out of it, but some kids are a little beat up from missing their spring season, maybe missing their summer club, whatever it might be. And some kids, like I'll give you an example, my daughter, right? She didn't run track, missed both her track seasons for, for club and for, uh, for school. Couldn't do anything over summer because every track meet was canceled. Was going to play volleyball in the fall. That got canceled because it's an indoor sport. So now we're waiting for a winter track to happen. That may not happen. She could go a whole year with never, never competing. Yeah. Um, so it's how do you find it? And I'm, she's not the only one. There's definitely more kids out there. So I think our program can hopefully be a little bit of a, of a stopgap and, and keep them motivated because we, we have to keep those competitive juices flowing because kids need to compete. You know, they need to compete and they compete because they want to have fun. I know it's kind of crazy. Some people look at competition as a negative thing. I think it's, it's a positive if it's done in the right context. So, I mean, what do you do in your sessions to, to get kids to compete each other, you know, aside from the typical races and stuff? What are some of the things that you've done? Yeah, I mean, obviously, like races are, are probably number one. When you got a Brower and you spend the money on a Brower timing system, you use it as often as you can. Um, the big piece, and to be honest, like right now, Steve, we're not doing a whole lot because we, we can't do any equipment sharing. Like there's no like med ball relays. There's no, you know, so it's, it's super challenging on our end, but I think what we've kind of put more of an onus and I don't want to say like on the kids, but I, I think right now kids definitely understand that they have the ability to train and they're kind of pissed. So we've been using, I don't mean to sound like it's like not a negative thing, but kids come in, they're pissed because like this week it was, Hey, I'm on varsity and, and rosters are 25 on my soccer team. Every other year I've played, it's on, it's been 20. So I got five extra kids and I'm like, yeah, you look pissed. And they're like, yeah, I am. I'm like, all right, let's go work out. You know, like, so we kind of almost have to push their buttons a little bit. So I wish I could say we had like these sweet, like, competitive juices in right now in Vermont, we aren't allowed to do that. So kind of all we can do is talk to our kids and say, Hey, what's going on? How you feeling? Yeah. You're upset. You had to go to school. Yeah. Let's go work out. Let's get a little pissed off and let's go work out. And then we give them a medicine ball. We have them just chuck that thing as hard as they can. So, um, you know, we're kind of using those, I'll say like the kids finding their, their actual feelings, they're typically anger and getting after it, but we're having the conversations with them. And that's, that's really what we've leaned on a lot of because these kids, there's not a lot of good going on. Like you're saying, Steve, like there's not a lot of good in these kids' lives. Like that it's tough stuff. So um, we're pissing them off and we're training hard. Listen, they need that release. I mean, I've seen it, you know, I've seen it with obviously I bring up my daughter, but also some of her friends I've been training over the summer and, Definitely a big difference from, I'd say, early July is when we kind of got back into it. We were outside training. Like, we just had a training session last night, my, uh, my daughter and two of her friends, both of them very good softball players. And all of a sudden, I was screaming and yelling. They were like, what's going on? I'm like, I finally see it. You guys are finally coming back. Like, you look different now. You're getting competitive. You're working hard. The techniques, I mean, they looked fast. Like, you know what I mean? They were just popping off the ground. We're on a grass field, and they were popping. And I said, guys, it took you – you know, two, a good two and a half months to kind of get back to normal. And, you know, they didn't really understand it. I was ecstatic because, and I saw it in their faces. They were smiling more during the session. They're joking around while they're getting a drink of water. And, you know, we, we have to create that environment because, you know, I'm in a school environment and I'm seeing it. It's very stringent because it has to be masks on. They can't really socialize. And this might be the only time they get to socialize and, and just have that, you know, that sports interaction, the old school locker room although they're not a locker room right they're, they're just together having a little bit of fun and I think you I, I forgot how important that was we forgot as adults but I really forgot how important it is for the kids that are currently playing I don't know if you've seen that as well yeah man locker talk is the best like that's I, I was never a good athlete there was no nothing spectacular about me I played lacrosse and I was not very good but uh you do it for the you do it for the guys you do it for the team you know and that's kind of the the forgotten thing with sports and youth sports getting so damn competitive when that's a good thing, but at the same time, so is social interaction. Um, that was, I have a two year on almost two year old. And when uh, preschool was closed, one of the things that I was worried about was just her social interaction with other kids. <laughs> it's, there's no sports, you know, and I'm just looking at my kid being like, man, I really wish my kid could be around other kids right now because I mean, this can't be good for, 
it's not good for me. And I'm a grown adult, super extrovert. It was not good for me. It's probably not good for this little human to just not be exposed to other little humans. And uh, I think we forget that when, our, when I say R, but when kids get to be in the adolescent age or even in um, you know, early adolescence in, in seven, eight, nine, 10 year olds, that just being around other kids is good for them, regardless of the sport. The sport is a vehicle for social interaction. Yeah, at some point it switches and kids are super competitive and it becomes about competition and playing better competition and improving in your sport. And that's totally fine too. But at the same time, that 18-year-old elite travel soccer player is going to benefit from being around other kids. I think we just need to remember the social aspects of sports and that's what makes it great. Look at the NBA. Uh, with all these dudes like by themselves in the bubble and they're just having a time cheering for each other. Like that's, they're grown adults and like the camaraderie of team. I think we forget that that sometimes is really important. Yeah, it definitely opened my eyes. I mean, I, you know, it's one of the things I always knew about, but now I'm seeing it more. And then, you know, in our, in our sessions, some kids didn't have their team. So their sessions with me and we were on a field and we were outside, that was their team. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? whatever kids that were paired up with that day. And what I've always loved, and I'm seeing it even more now, I'm seeing kids become friends, even though they're different teams, different schools, whatever, in our sessions. And I think uh, that's just a great thing to see for, for our kids. And that's another just crazy benefit that we never thought about. You know, again, we know we, we're going to get kids faster. We're going to get them stronger and build self-confidence. But just I think creating relationships with other kids too is, is important. Um, they, were, they were isolated for so long, especially in New Jersey. I mean, our kids were – truly on lockdown for a couple months. Um, so I, I really feel good about that. But, you know, to kind of get back to the, uh, the nitty gritty w- w- when it comes to training, what do you think of some of the new trends that are out there? Is there anything that you've seen? Not with what we do. I think what we're pretty much on a cutting edge in a good way where we always implement it into the program the right way. But have you seen any new trends out there, whether it be uh, technology or some newer training methodologies that you see that you think, we might need to investigate more of obviously bill was with uh, faster training we're, you know we're definitely incorporating that that's probably our newest uh, uh, project but what have you seen and what do you think might be uh, some of the trends moving forward yeah I mean for myself personally I'm all in on sleep I'm all in on sleep tracking I'm all in on seeing when someone is sleeping and I give a huge shout out to Fitbit for making it super accessible. Um, and now even the Apple watch, uh, series six is releasing with better sleep tracking with, um, like blood oxygen levels being built into the watch as well. Like these things that you see with whoop band and aura ring and, I mean, our kids aren't, aren't wearing aura rings or whoops, but they will be wearing Apple watches and they do wear Fitbits already. And that's one thing that I always ask, especially kids that, um, Come, I'll say that the kids that come into our facility with the intent of, of becoming a better athlete, playing at more competition or higher levels of uh, competition, I'm talking to them about recovery. Um, you know, like, yes, the technical side of training and, and velocity-based stuff that is coming out with like push band is a really good product. Um, uh, but and I'm, I'm honestly, Steve, like I'm not really up with like all the other technology because we don't really have the budget to afford it in our gym. Um, sure, I think, a lot of gym, a lot yeah, of gym but uh, I'm all in on, on, on sleep and recovery um, nutrition as well. Like I said, we have a fleet of registered dietitians as I like to refer to them, um, you know, because for me in the age group that we train, they don't train hard enough or long enough or have had, they haven't trained hard or long enough to require fancy technology. Um, there's a couple sp- sports specific places near us, like uh, a high end baseball place that uses Rapsodo and they're calculating yep. spin rate and things like, and I really think that technology in sports specific manners is is huge. You know, like that's, that's the outcome, right? Like if you're a hockey player, you want to know how hard you shoot. Like that's the outcome in the weight room. Uh, I'd love to know how fast you move a barbell or a med ball, but to be honest, um, 
you know, specificity is king. And I'd rather see you put that intent or max effort when you're doing your private lessons five days a week, because that's the kind of kid you are. Um, so for me, if I can really drive home recovery, if I can really drive home sleep, if I can drive home nutrition and getting kids to think about that as it relates to their ability in the weight room, I'm doing two things. One, I'm making them actually a better person. Um, two, when they go and talk to their parents about it, that's the kind of stuff that parents cannot break through with their kids at all ever. So, uh, I know I'm leaving more of an impact, uh, just professionally as well for myself as being the guy that's talking to the kid about a sleep score and Fitbit because, um, you know, that they are, that's no one else is doing that. The baseball coach isn't doing it. And it's going to impact their ability in the classroom. It's going to impact their ability and their mood with their family. So um, I've really doubled down on sleep, especially after being home for 15 weeks and being able to sleep really well and not having to wake up at 5 a.m. every day. Uh, it's become more important. And it's, it's um, I think still the greatest unknown in sports is, is sleep and sleep trends. And I know that the NBA is putting a lot of stock into uh, each team having their own sleep doctor that tracks travel trends and, and all this information. So you got to figure if pro sports is investing millions of dollars into it, then uh, anything we can do on the youth level is only going to set them up for success along the way. I, I agree. It's funny. You know, I, I never thought sleep was going to be something that we paid so much attention to, but uh, you know, I've definitely been reading much more about it. Um, there was a great speaker at Perform Better a few years ago. I honestly forget his name, but he did a great job uh, really discussing, you know, the effects of sleep. And we all know rest is important, but, you know, our kids are so busy when it comes to playing a lot of sports and going to school and having academics and SATs and ACTs and all that type of stuff. And, you know, I see that at the private school that I'm at, these kids, you know, they work their tails off. And it's funny, a few of the kids that I worked with, like I had a track kid that I'm, I'm working with now. Um, he's trying to run in college. So we did some work over the summer and I said to him, I'm like, man, you're running really well. He's like, yeah, I feel good. I, he's like, why do you think that is? I'm like, cause you're sleeping more. You're not going to school. You're not, you know, you're not taking AP calculus and all that. And that stuff's important, but you're, you're going to school. And then last week, you know, we worked out a few days and he was a little, little, little ragged, you know what I mean? And he goes, coach, he goes, I, I understand that. He goes, I'm getting up at 6am. I'm at school all day, I'm doing homework at night and, and these practices as well. He goes, I see what you're saying. I see how important it is that I, that I need to sleep because his body just felt different for the workouts and, and recovery is important, but also being recovered and ready for the next workout is hard as well. And, I, and that's what I've seen a lot with my kids. Yeah. We have the conversation with our kids when they hit the weight room, we go, okay, what are we, what are we doing to your body? What are we trying to do? You know, and they're like, Oh, we're trying to do this. And I'm like, yeah, we're, okay. We're trying to make changes. And are these changes physical or are they, the, what are they? You know, and they're like, Oh yeah, it's a physical change. Like I want my arms to grow. I want my body to put more force in the ground. Like they, you know, and they, they, they come up with some superficial things, but okay. If you want your arms to grow, you know, you need to figure like what physical things can you do to help your body recover? Well, eating, putting nutrients into your body is a physical thing you can do. Sleeping affects your physical state. You know, like even if you just isolate it out into just physical, mental, like, yeah, you can read about shooting a basketball better. You can sit down, watch all the Instagram, YouTube videos, whatever on how to shoot a basketball better. But at some point, the physical nature you, you provide to your body, the physical, I should say physical nurturing you provide to your body is going to pay dividends. And all you need to know is the one time you come in a workout after spending all night with your boys and you come in and you're just a hot garbage in the weight room, hot garbage in practice, you kind of understand, oh yeah, I didn't sleep last night. So uh, it's an eye opener as to how important it can be if you want to be at a high level, because you string a couple of those days together and, and everything's gone. Like that's it. You've set yourself backwards and not forwards. So, um, you know, I've taken more onus on myself with kids when they come into train to have those questions and train heroic does a really good job of having, um, like the readiness scores and the readiness wellness surveys before a training session. And, and I look at those, um, you know, as much as I think any other coach probably does, because that's the conversation piece, you know, like these are kids self one self-reporting on their own huge and two, you know, these are things that they're going to have to pay attention to even when they're not in the weight room with you that are going to have the biggest impact when they are or aren't in the weight room with you going forward. So it's, it's just so important. And I think that um, a really good book that I, uh, I read 
it's kind of dense, but it's called Why We Sleep. I forget who it's by, Michael someone, but the book title is called Why We Sleep. It's very eye-opening. The chapter on caffeine will scare any strength coach listening to this or any personal trainer listening to this because it scared the crap out of me. Uh, But it's a really good book that uh, talks just about different factors in our life. Like it's one of a few books that actually, um, that actually kind of dives into just the different lifestyle factors rather than saying like this much sleep correlates to this. It'll say, um, you know, like studies of, of caffeine intake or studies on um, supplemental melatonin or all these other different factors that affect sleep and lifestyle. They actually report on that in the book um, on, on a couple macro studies that have been done over the course of 15, 25 years. So um, super credible. It's backed by science um, and definitely a good read for anyone who's in strength conditioning or, or the health and fitness industry at all, because if you want to get results from your clients, you need to understand the lifestyle factors that are going to affect those results or impair those results for your clients. That's awesome stuff, man. I mean, I think uh, we probably can have another call just about sleep stuff, but I know we're, uh, we're starting to wind down on time a little. I know we have some people on, the, on this call. So does anyone uh, want to ask any questions of myself or Casey or any comments, uh, feel free to unmute yourself and, uh, and chime in. See that they're tired and they want to eat dinner. They got done training all day. Yeah, I don't blame them. I <laughs> know we've we've all been there. Um all right, well, I'll um I'll I'll try to wrap it up. So as always, Casey, you know, you and I have been on a couple of pods together and it's always a pleasure. You know, you and I could probably talk five, six hours on training and uh, we can go Joe Rogan style, man. I'll do another hour. If you want to go Joe Rogan, we can go full Joe Rogan. I think we might have to have an overtime show at some point. Carol's going to, Carol's going to kill us, (laughs) but um, you know, you know what you got me thinking already was great. You know, with the sleep stuff. So I'm I'm definitely going to check out some of the things that that you talked about. Maybe we could post them later, but you know, I I think hopefully uh, everyone that was on this call, or on this or downloads this podcast, you know, our goal is to make you think and you, you made me think already, which, which is great. And I really hope that uh, everyone gets a little stimulated with this. You know, we're going to be running this uh, once or twice a month. And uh, you know, we want to try to give you guys more content, more accessible on your phones or tablets or whatever. So you guys can download it and we'll continue to get great people on like Casey, you know, he is one of the leaders in our industry and one of the go-to people. When I think about talking about training, he's one of the top guys I want to talk to. So I can't thank you enough. We're always, uh, we're always fighting a good fight and hopefully our Cowboys can, uh, can turn around this week against the Falcons. Unreal. Any, the any, only yeah. saving grace for the Cowboys <laughs> was watching Jason Garrett and the Giants just hot garbage on yeah. Monday night. Uh, but yeah, it's oh, such a tortured Cowboys fan. It's whack. Sooner or later, it'll be okay. But any, of course uh, I got to watch the Patriots games announced by Tony Romo too. That's, that's just, true. it's awful. That's true. Any, uh, any party thoughts besides our poor Cowboys? Ah, no, man, Steve, it's always a pleasure talking with you. And, and uh, if anyone has any information or wants more information on me or than the work that I do, coachkclee.com is the place to go um, or uh, edgevt.com slash Parisi. That's the home base for the Parisi work. Uh, but yeah, that's, uh, that's the gist of what I've got going on. And I'm on social media at Coach Casey Lee for everything. So feel free to come in, chat. I love talking shop. I've got my own podcast called The Three Things. You can check that out everywhere as well. It's, uh, I'll say, a little bit more unfiltered than this podcast was, so it can get pretty rowdy. Uh, Steve's been a guest a couple times as well, and his episodes are, are always some of my most downloaded. So um, you know, you guys are in good hands with the Steve Leo as the host of this pod going forward. Thank you, man. Well, I appreciate it. I appreciate you, all you guys getting on. Um, you know, you, you definitely lead us in your own way because, you know, you're taking a time out, 8, 9 o'clock on a Wednesday night to do this. So I wish you guys all the best, and hopefully uh, everyone is uh, healthy, and let's keep pushing forward, guys. All right? Thanks. Take it easy, guys.